Well, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Genius Foods. In this episode of the show, I'm super excited to welcome Taro Iso Kaupala. Taro is the author of Healing Mushrooms, a practical and culinary guide to using mushrooms for whole body health. He's the founder of Four Sigmatic, a popular medicinal mushroom company, and he's also one of my good friends. This is his second appearance on my podcast, and I brought him back to celebrate the launch of his new book, Santa Sold Shrooms. When Taro told me a few months ago about his latest research obsession, which ultimately played out in the form of a children's holiday book, my jaw was on the floor. I thought it was the coolest story ever. I mean, imagine good old Saint Nick having psychedelic origins. Now with the holiday season fast approaching, this is gonna be one mind bender of an episode, and we plunge right into it. So over the next 45 minutes, you're going to learn a side to Santa Claus that you definitely did not hear about in school. Now, please, guys, it would really mean the world to me if you'd consider sharing this podcast on social media. You could take a screen grab of the app that you use to listen to the show and tag both Taro and I along with your favorite quote from this episode. And that really helps spread the word and draw new listeners to the show, which is only going to help me grow the podcast and continue to put out high quality content week after week. The other way that you can support this podcast is by going to iTunes iTunes and by leaving a rating and a review. There's already a couple hundred reviews on iTunes, which I'm super grateful for. I read every single one of them, guys. Like this one from Selena Russell on October 27th. She wrote, this is by far my favorite podcast. I literally get excited to go on long car rides just so I expand my knowledge of science, nutrition, and exercise. I recommend anyone to listen because there is something for everyone. It's not only extremely intellectually interesting, but each episode's guest has something to offer the mind. Max seriously knows how to deliver information that can be hard to wrap your head around. Enticing. Hands down, a five-star rating. Selena, if you're out there listening, you are the bee's knees. But whether your name is Selena, Samantha, Steph, Stuart, the power is in your hands to leave a rating and review and to help expand the reach of the genius life. It'll only take you a couple seconds, and it is free to do so. Um, again, I would really appreciate it. All right, guys, without further ado, I'm excited to get into my chat with Taro Isokaupala. Don't forget, you can pick up his beautiful new book, Santa Sold Shrooms, wherever you buy books. It's wonderfully bound. It's a gorgeous book. It would make a perfect gift. And also don't forget that Taro is the founder of Four Sigmatic. If you decide that you want to maybe experiment with some medicinal uh, mushrooms like reishi, chaga, lion's mane, and more, you can always go to foursigmatic.com slash max and get a delicious 15% off of everything in your shopping cart. All right, without further ado, here's Taro. Strong case of deja vu. It is. Yeah. We've been here before. We've been here before <laughs> in many in many senses. And many times the sequel is worse than the original. But <laughs> let this be the Godfather 2, <laughs> the exception. Alien 2 maybe as well. Yes. There are not many sequels that are better than the original. Well, this may or may not be better, but it's definitely going to be different because we're here to talk about your latest book, which I'm super excited about, Santa Sold Shrooms. Yeah, shrooms. Shrooms. You know about them. I didn't know Santa was selling anything, let alone mushrooms. Yeah, it, a lot of people don't know. Um, a lot of people think Santa Claus comes from St. Nicholas, and then St. Nicholas is German. But St. Nicholas was not German. It was Turkish. Wow. And um, nobody ever thought that reindeers are don't live in Turkey. You know, there isn't snow or... Nobody thought to like <laughs> reverse engineer fact that. Check. Yeah, it's like, um, and go back in history. And um, so I've been urging to write this book um, for probably ten years. And then last year, uh, around this time of the year, New York Times made an animation 
around this theme of the the true story of Santa Claus. Where does Santa Claus history come from? And it is over 5,000 years old story. And arguably, Santa is the world's most famous person Hmm. or character because it goes beyond religions and cultures um, across the board. And I think it's important to know why we celebrate Santa or how does it come to. And the teaser is there is also a link to brain function and uh, so it's not just a story of fun times. I think there's a lesson of hi- history and uh, what is important in lifestyle. Wow. And also how it impacts your brain, which is why I'm excited to chat with you. I'm so excited. Okay, so Santa Claus. Yes. He's a pretty important figure for many people. V- very, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Uh, and so... And I think the lesson of Christmas and Santa Claus is goes beyond just this holiday. I think if you look at Easter or Halloween or Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. they we often forget why they're celebrated. Or the original story is commercialized AF or you know, just change over time and we forget what's the true meaning. Why did these indigenous people really um, keep some part of the year really sacred? And uh, the story of Christmas really starts on winter solstice. So obviously, we humans are very sensitive to nature. That's evolutionary-wise. Like seasons really affect our circadian rhythm mm. and our digestive tract. And that's why I think any diet that tries to eat 12 months of the year the exact same way will fail, no matter who good is the diet. There needs to be a season of, of cleansing, doesn't mean a green juice detox, something totally else, but like dandelion pops up in the spring, you eat it. And there's a fast, like carnival, obviously, um, is a celebration of ending a fast. Right. And all these stuff are really important. And the two big things for a lot of indigenous cultures, the winter solstice and the summer solstice, when the day is the longest and the shortest, and Christmas aligns with the previous calendar with winter solstice, and that's where history of Santa Claus comes from and it's traveled through many cultures and every culture has added their own spice to the soup but um, the origin of it is from this indigenous group of people called the Sami and they're reindeer herders they're semi-nomadic reindeer herders and so that's that those are the people that handle reindeers and that's how Santa Claus story comes from that's amazing I've seen a documentary on YouTube uh, I forget the name. I think it's like Zeitgeist. Yeah. Where it's all about the, or it suggests that, you know, the great religions of the world really are mere metaphors for what you're talking about, essentially, is natural phenomena, mm-hmm. like the summer solstice and, you know, the sort of receding of the sun. Sure. Um, that's super interesting. And obviously, Santa and Jesus are now very connected and um, in, in today's world, but the... So the Sami have been doing this over 5,000 years. So the Scandinavian countries, so Norway, Finland, Sweden, and parts of Russia are known for Vikings, but Vikings have been there around only a little over 1,000 years, but the Sami have been there with like 5,000 years. And, and the history of the Sami, at least, is much older than this history of uh, Jesus. And there are similarities, and you could always argue uh, with all of these uh, religions on how are they... Um, what's the impact for astrology, for example, and the lunar cycles and on, on the certain habits. But in this case, it's the story of Santa Claus is much more practical. So it doesn't mean that uh, Jesus didn't exist, but um, there's definitely 
you know, some similar touch points. And it's probably because there's the overtime, the story is somehow merged. Wow. So yeah. the Sami? Somni? Sami, yeah. Sami is like, it's an ancient Scandinavian tribe. Yeah, there's, there's uh, other group of indigenous people, same mm. as in American Native Indians. Yeah. Um, and Native Americans have multiple tribes. Sami have multiple tribes. But so, you know, I'm also part of a lineage of, but now I, I, I even though I grew up on a farm, I didn't grow up in Lapland, this area beyond North Arctic Circle. So think of like Alaska, yeah, like quite far up north. So you got the Oreilly Borealis, you know, the Northern Lights, and you got reindeer, and you got tons of snow, and you have the spruce tree. So there's also a reason why, if you go to the Rockefeller Center or something, you see this Christmas tree. Why it's spruce? Because um, it's all ties up to um, to the Sami people. And the spoiler here is that the the Sami, uh, the Santa is a shaman. So that's why th we thought the Santa lived forever because there was multiple shamans that would go from village to village and they served religious purposes. So they were spiritual, but they were also doctors. Wow. So they would find herbs before before there was CVS or Walgreens. <laughs> they went to nature and figure out, okay, this this kid has a flu. What can I give? Oh, like honey or like whatever. And let's use pine or things that they found to heal people. Wow. And uh, so the, the Santa was a shaman and shaman was a priest, elder, and a medicine man. Um, and then during these two big celebrations, Midsummer and Christmas, they would have ceremonies and the Christmas ceremony uh, was especially magical. And that started kind of the story of Santa Claus. Wow. So Santas were early like medicine men and priests and, you know, they yeah. sort of multi-purpose Swiss army. So, well, yeah. in societies, then you have to be a little bit. But <laughs> so Sami Santa would go from village to village to heal people. And then, um, and they use reindeers. Reindeer are one of the big, uh, I think there's nine large domesticated mammals and reindeer are one of them. They're kind of like caribou and the same kind of family but slightly different that's where the reindeer and the myth come from yes wow. and um, um, so the ceremony in the winter time was a celebration of family and um, being grateful for the previous year and start of the new year so technically like the winter solstice is also the new year because it's like when the days start to get longer slowly and uh, there's a mushroom called Amanita muscaria, which is arguably the world's most famous mushroom, hence Santa shrooms. And it's so famous that everybody knows it, but nobody knows it. And what I mean with that is if you ever click on your uh, phone, the mushroom emoji, it is Amanita muscaria. <laughs> if you have Super Mario catching a mushroom becoming stronger, Amanita muscaria. Alice in the Wonderland, Amanita muscaria. Jefferson Airplane, White Rabbit, Amanita muscaria. You look at Snow White, Disney stuff, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Wow. And it is a quite a magical mushroom, actually, that is actually a magic mushroom. It is psychedelic, but it's legal. So unlike the, the more now talked about psychedelic psilocybin, which is illegal in the United States, Amanita is legal everywhere but Louisiana. And that's a whole other story why <laughs> it's not there. But everywhere else, you can eat it. It's also part poisonous and um, not lethal, or you would have to eat insane amount of it. Um, but it will make you maybe vomit unless it's tried properly. Uh, it has these water-soluble compounds, muscimol and hypotonic acid that can be removed with correct drying or boiling them. And then it's you know less poisonous or not poisonous at all. And then the psychoactive compounds really come to life and, and uh, change your brain. Wow. Amazing. And things change. So how did these mushrooms play? Were these mushrooms a part of the ceremony? Yes. The so um, 
So if you ever see the red ornaments on uh, Christmas trees, those were originally Amanita muscaria. So even if, so the story of Santa Claus came to the United States to the Dutch immigrants to New York City. New York City is the new the U.S. hub for Christmas. It still was back in the day, and I guess you would still say it is because of the whole celebration. And the Dutch got it from the Germans. Germans got it from the Italians. Italians stole Saint Nicholas's grave from Turkey. The Turkish got it from the Orthodox Christians, and the Christians got it from the Slavic community who have uh, um, even still today the Slavic Christmas Santa is called Dead Moors. They, if you talk to someone from Russia or even Ukraine, they have this Slavic winter wizard. It's like blue. So actually, original outfit of Santa was more blue than it was red. Wow. And they took it from these indigenous people. And over the way, like things, stories were added um, to it. But what has remained is the red ornaments. And even if you go to the German times, you can see old photos where little kids are holding Amanita muscaria or Amanita muscarias hanging from the tree instead of the red ornament ball. So the red balls were originally uh, psychedelic mushrooms. <laughs> and the connection with the spruce tree is the spruce tree is part of the Pinesia family. And uh, this... Um, this mushroom can only grow with um, a harmony of the roots of the Pinesia trees, so spruce tree, pine tree. And so Amanita is tied to the pine trees, and that's why the Christmas tree is pine. And they grow under the tree. That's why the presents are under the tree. Or they hang from stockings because you have to dry the poisonous ingredients away. So you, ha you dry them on top of fire. So there's all these connections. Even why Santa comes from the chimney is part of the story. But I think the more fascinating part is um, is that most of the Christmas traditions are still the same. Like there was a ceremony where you would look back to the previous year, shaman would consume these mushrooms, have see visions for the next year, maybe talk with the dead, um, and bring back messages to the family who they did the ceremony with or, or in front of. So wow. that's why Santa has red cheeks and why Rudolph <laughs> is flying and Actually, there's even a BBC documentary of the reindeers tripping on this mushroom. They really love to eat the psychedelic mushroom. That's amazing. Would the practitioners all do the mushrooms, like, or would it just be the the, so, the Santa? Yeah, and ha here where it gets really nasty, um, maybe not PC. So, if you are under the age of 18, this is the time when you stop listening. So, um, so Sami shaman would have the mushroom and have these visions, but also get sick and get all red and kind of, they have this chanting called yoiking that they would do. But then other people could join the ceremony and they join it by drinking the urine of some. So pretty much all major religions um, talk about urine therapy, um, but it's just kind of been washed away. So all major religions talking about drinking no urine. No pun intended. Yeah, it's washed away. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Yeah, I love love that one. Uh, so... But the, the urine uh, through the liver, only the first person who eats it might get sick or a little nauseous. And the psychoactive compounds get stronger through urine. So if you, and that's, that's why probably the term get pissed is coming from, if on the British language you talk when you get drunk or really high, you get pissed. Wow. Um, so, and then the reindeer love the urine as well. If the Sami Shandland would then pee on the snow. Oh my God. They would love eating it. So the shaman would eat then a, a, a reindeer-created snow cone? Correct. Yellow snow. Wow. You, so yellow snow is sometimes maybe beneficial. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. And so the visions of, like, the reindeer flying with Santa in the sky, like, the whole, pretty much every aspect of the myth 
you know, surrounding Christmas and the story of Santa Claus can be traced back to. Yeah, but it's also funny about stories. Stories go from generation to generation. It's kind of like the game of uh, what's that Chinese telephone? Telephone. Or, yeah, and it's just like uh, a Chinese whispers or telephone. It's the same, right? Yeah. Sorry. Um, and it just goes on and changes a little bit on the way. So, for example, the Norse mythology, like Thor, it came after the Sami, and there's a lot of similarities. Like Thor rides his goats through the sky to Asgard and there's a lot of similarities along the way and and every culture added a little bit of their own spice to the mix and uh, which culture added like Walmart and going into debt that would that would be um that would be America <laughs> um also the soda santa drink sugar um <laughs> is is a big part of it then you say ho He's ho ho by the way coca-cola just on the on the topic of it, I know you love sugar. Um, also had cocaine in it, you back know, in back in the day, and cocaine was a big deal. And it got out of Coca Cola, I believe, in the 1930s. But in the 1980s, still, I think New York Times did an investigating journalism and figured out that there was still strange amounts of cocaine. So if you're born in the 60s, 70s, and you drink Coke as a kid, maybe you also had a little bit of cocaine in it. Wow. Um, not sure. But maybe. Likely. But back in the day, for sure, before 1930s, you were on sugar, caffeine, and cocaine. That's a pretty strong... That is. That's a value proposition there. You'd be flying. Yeah. And Bayern Company, who invented aspirin, also invented heroin, and it was given to babies. So babies would go to sleep if they were a little, like, uh, crying. So, like, baby, baby, little heroin here. (laughs) So... That's the fascinating part about pharmaceuticals, and not to say that they're all bad. There's obviously certain things for certain purposes, but they might come with a trade-off, or they might be a consequence 10, 20, 30, 40 years later that gets discovered. So if there's a new pharmaceutical, it could be great. You know, We have the penicillins and, and the aspirins of the world that clearly proven to be more or less, more or less safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Then there's also, for every story like that, there's quite a many dangerous stories. So whenever you have to consume uh, some sort of pharmaceuticals, obviously, like doing your research is pretty important. Yeah, I was having this conversation, not to go too off topic, but with a friend of mine who is studying for a PhD in microbiology. And he was uh, speculating that people are generally sort of waking up to the notion that chronic antibiotic use Mm -hmm. is not a good thing. No bueno. He was suggesting that maybe five years from now, we're all going to look at uh, acid-blocking medications Mm -hmm. in the same light because of their sort of widespread downstream implications on nearly every organ of the body. I I buy that thesis. That's why I love, for example, not to go off too much off-tangent, but like the genius foods concept is that those foods have been proven over decade generation after generation generation after generation to be like cornerstones of diet it's uh, it doesn't mean that they're perfect or that there isn't downsides to eating too much cacao Uh, it still means that it was used as a currency and it was highly regarded and um, at least we know that you can be very fertile while eating these foods and your kids will also be very fertile and and their kids will also be very fertile so we know that like at least that part of it is awesome. So I think then when consuming foods that have been considered highly, call them superfoods or genius foods or whatever you want to call them, right. doesn't matter. They're proven decade after decade, generation after generation. I think it's a pretty safe place to start. Yeah. And then add from their other stuff and test out. 
I love hearing you talk about this because to me, you're one of my go-to experts when it comes to superfoods and, you know, herbs and tinctures and tonics and extracts and things that, Mm -hmm. you know, really ancient wisdom has, um, supported the use of and science is now sort of, you know, coming around the Mm -hmm. curve and and validating. I mean, you're, you know, I quote you in my book for your expertise on chocolate. Yeah. I love chocolate. Chocolate's amazing. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? So Santa Claus. Yep. What a wild story. It is a wild story. And, and it's, I, I would say Santa Claus is the most, um, it's the most commercialized story of them all, but you could trace back, um, so many of the major holidays that we celebrate have there by the way also all tied to food there isn't a one major holiday or celebration where food isn't a center part of it like huh. nutrition was it's the cornerstone of culture like every celebration i mean it's still today bar mitzvah i don't yeah. whatever like food is at the center point people come gather and socialize over food so there's you can never not argue about the social element of food food will always come with the social element and i think the major celebrations kind of like highlight it um and the santa claus story is just the craziest of them all i think and um uh, and i think one of the fascinating things if you're listening and you're long-term fan of max or a new fan and you're into the brain function is um you can google amanita muscari and look at how it works as a as an agonist to the GABA receptor, hmm. and which is very different how, for example, psilocybin works, and for like sedative, almost like alcohol-like purposes, muscle relaxation and whatnot. So there's also, it's I feel like now it's we're just scratching the surface on how certain foods, psychedelic and non-psychedelic foods, impact certain receptors, and how blocking a certain receptor opens up a stream of other brain function yeah, and how activating a certain receptor opens up another stream. I mean, we literally know nothing. Right. We literally know nothing, <laughs> but I think it's fascinating as time goes by is like, how does blueberries um, or green tea or, I mean, caffeine is obviously now something that is okay. Well studied is like how they all impact the brain function. Right. And but how certain receptors get triggered. But like, you know, the, it's not like our brains and our biology and our, you know, genome is like a switchboard with like single switches, 100%. right? Like, no. Like we know the effects of these single compounds on our biology because we've been able to identify and mm-hmm. then measure singular endpoints. Yes. You know, like single how, variables because right. science doesn't love having 10 variables because it's then it's the causality is hard to pinpoint. It just, yeah. It becomes more difficult. And we, you know, we have yet to explore, you know, I mean, like the, the vast human genome, even though our genome is relatively rudimentary, we've got, you know, only 23,000 genes, but it's, uh, you know, all these compounds are going to have an effect in ways that we have yet to really fully understand. That's why I still think at least today and maybe in hundred years, it's a different story is I think of nutrition and health more of as an art than a science. That's why I learn more from farmers and chefs often than from a scientist because of the symphony element of it. Yeah. I truly do think that it's, 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 it's like watching a piece of art, Mona Lisa, okay? Maybe the most famous painting in the world. And you say, why is it captivating? Nobody knows. Some people say she smiles. Technically, she doesn't even smile. But like people argue, why is it captivating? We don't know. 
but it's captivating. It's something there, and it's probably a series of things and different things for different people. And that's why I feel about avocado, or you know, whatever. It's, yeah. it's chocolate. We can talk about um, magnesium. We can talk about different neurotrans, PEA, and other things in chocolate. But at the end of the day, we really don't know because of what you just noted. Is you do A, and then B, C, D, E happens, and then X, Y, C start to trigger, and it's all this stuff. Right. And we have no clue. Well, that's why I value so much like the intuition, you know, from people mm -hmm. like you that, uh, you know, that come at this with a strong ancestral perspective, you know, a great intuition and also, you know, knowing when to seed to research and science. And I think the research and, and, and science. And marry all those variables as well. Yeah. And I think the research science is like the cherry on the cake. It's like, let's say, olive. Olive is used. It's a pioneer food. We know that pioneer foods have to survive in more harsh climates. We know that tends to be that plants, for example, that survive in harsh climates build more of certain nutrients, be it like polyphenols or certain things. And, and it's been used for hundreds of years, generation after generation, as the core of a staple of a diet in an area where there's generally been quite healthy people. And now, obviously, as time goes by, we're figuring out, like, why does it work? Yeah, but we've already known that it works. That's a really interesting point. That some of the some of the foods that have to grow under the under the harshest conditions tend to be the best for us. Yeah, I think it's the extremes, and I think that's true for the society right now. It's foods that grow in Amazon with extreme pie diversity, where there's 122 types of birds shitting on the <laughs> tree and getting them the the soil health is extreme high, and then you pull out. Uh, magical plant. Uh, cacao requires that. Cacao doesn't like uh, mass farming, and that's why African cacao generally is much inferior to like South American cacao that lives in a more more of a biodiversity. Obviously, that's mm -hmm. a generalization, but generally true. And and or then they're in the very harsh climate. So it's mm -hmm. usually at the end of the life cycle of the forest of extreme biodiversity, or at the beginning of the life cycle when they're a pioneer. Wow. So this book, Send Us Old Shrooms, sure. it's, uh, I mean, you're basically disrupting one of the most sacred uh, myths yes. in the world, essentially. Yeah. Do you feel like you're going to get any pushback? I mean, from I, people that- I already have. Really? I've already been denied by so many people who didn't want me to launch this book. Um, yeah, even people that I thought were like, quote unquote, partners to Four Sigmatic. That's why I wrote it as the, as the children's story. It's actually not written as a factual piece. And I'm not arguing that every single thing there is 100% factual. It's quite factual, but it's through an eyes of a 10-year-old little girl. It's beautifully illustrated. And it's just, it's just a story. And then you can go and research John Allegro, Mushrooms and the Cross. You can go and research the Sami people, the, Slo the Slavic traditions of dead Moors. You can research whatever you want and then do your own decision, what you think. But that's why I wanted to write a children's story. Why is a children's book and not a thick, factual um, book with references is that it's such an emotional topic for many people is that um, sometimes it's just better to be entertained through uh, of a adult children's book, and then it has more questions at at the end. Uh, I believe that if you read this book, at the end you'll have more questions than you will have answers. But I think that's one of the best parts about sharing knowledge is just provoking different thoughts. When did you decide that you wanted to write it? 
Yeah, it was like kind of like not 10 years, but almost 10 years coming. Um, mm-hmm. The first serious thought I, in 2014, I tried to do it with a person who used to work at Coca-Cola <laughs> and uh, we wanted to make it um, um, together. But since then, it was kind of on hold as well because I didn't know um, this one book I had to self-publish. Um, the previous book came with a large publisher and and in that way, I just had to kind of figure out how to get it out you know, in, in a reasonable way. And so it took a while. But then when I saw the New York Times piece, then I knew. And I already knew at that point Michael Pollan was writing his book about the the illegal psychedelic of psilocybin, which this book doesn't relate to, but at least people are more open to having conversation about even legal psychedelics. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in, in psychedelia um, in terms of their therapeutic potential. Yeah, I think the initial research is quite quite interesting yeah for so, sure so i'm sure we can link or you can uh, talk about um some of those initial studies on uh, people stopping smoking or having terminal illnesses and life-changing experiences but i think there is much to explore i can't believe that the the mushroom from super mario brothers is a psychedelic mushroom yeah and your emoji it's insane and by the way, you can find this pretty much around the world. So if you go um, pick mushrooms, um, you will probably at some point walking in the forest find Amanita muscaria. That being said, I do want to disclaim that the Amanita family of mushrooms is the last mushroom to forage unless you know what you're doing. Even though it's, Ill- it's legal, a um, couple cousins of Amanita are literally cause of almost every mushroom death in America. <laughs> so the Death Cap and the Destroying Angel, both really light names for mushrooms, are in the Amanita family and they are so lethal. They're, this one, Amanita muscaria, is uh, poisonous but not really lethal unless in massive dosages. But um, but the other Amanitas are straight up deathly. So if you don't know about mushrooms, any mushrooms, and you need to go foraging, talk to your local mycologist association, do your research, never eat or pick anything. You're not exactly sure of the identification. Um, so just uh, if you are interested in consuming wild mushrooms, you really have to know what you're doing. So even though very few of them are poisonous and lethal, the the risk is too high, I think. So you got to talk to someone who definitely knows i think this book is it's so beautiful like the work that you did on it like it's a it would be it's a perfect gift and you know i i mean i grew up i grew up in new york city which is as you mentioned you know the hub of christmas in the western world or at least one of them and uh you know i definitely grew up with an appreciation for santa even though i was raised jewish yeah (laughs) so i mean i i would have loved to have who doesn't love the gifts well exactly yeah. Although I was always happy that we had eight nights of, of gift, <laughs> gift giving as opposed to one. But. Sure. I I can appreciate that. Yeah. If you are looking for a fun white elephant secret Santa gift or uh, if you have to go somewhere and get a uh, a thought-provoking yet entertaining and playful book, um, hop on to Amazon and look for Santa Salt Shrooms. So dope. Um Anything else you want to add before we, no, uh, before we wrap up? No, I think appreciating the work you do. And I love seeing just in the last year or so when we last had this formal sit down, just uh, the, the the quality of content has taken another level. I know you always put good stuff, but I feel like you've, you've um, leveled up. 
and I'm just excited to see what happens in 2019. I feel like you're cooking something cool in the kitchen. I'm excited <laughs> to kind of get a glimpse in it. I definitely am. It's smelling is, good in the kitchen already. I just don't know what you're cooking yet. Smelling good. Yeah. Well-seasoned. Well yeah. Um, well, Taro, you are the man, and I feel the same way about you. And uh, thank you for once again coming on my show. Where can listeners find you on the social web? I'm pretty bad at it. The only place you can find me is Instagram. That would be I am Tero, T-E-R-O. That would be the place to find me. But I do put a lot of content on Four Sigmatic, so Four Sigmatic everywhere. And uh, for example, if you want to learn about the functional legal mushrooms, we have a Mushroom Academy. You can go to Mushroom Academy and Google that. And we'll, it's free education, free e-learning course about the functional benefits of mushrooms. So definitely check that out. And... And uh, yeah, the book is on Amazon if you want to go check it out. So dope. And Four Sigmatic, you guys, uh, listeners to this podcast will know, Tara is the founder of Four Sigmatic, and Four Sigmatic is one of the sponsors of this podcast. But Tara, independent of that, is a very good friend of mine. And if you did want to mosey on over to foursigmatic.com and check out some of their amazing products, you could always use code MAX and save 15% off. So thanks for offering that, Tara. Yeah, thanks too. for spreading the word. Yeah. What, are the, what are the ones that you've been, because you were on that Rishi kick for a while. You were like <laughs> texting me all the time on evening Rishi. Ones. I know, I do, I do love, you know, I have not yet tried the new Rishi formulation, but mm -hmm. I'm excited to because I know that there's more Rishi in it. Yeah, and there's um, Tulsi as well, the holy basil, huh. which also has, it's one of the, I would say, better Western researched adaptogens. Hmm. I do love the uh, the lion's mane coffee. Mm -hmm. That's a, I mean, that's definitely a staple for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, what else? I mean, I love your chocolates when they're available. Yeah. Which are, you know, it's not frequent, but um, all the stuff you make. I mean, you guys put out good stuff, so I appreciate yeah. what you're doing. Thank you. Um, and I actually don't think the last question that I usually ask to every guest, I don't think I was asking it to guests back when you were on it the first time. Okay. So I'm excited to hear your answer. Yeah, what's that? 47. <laughs> the question is, what does it mean to you to live a genius life? That's a very good question. Probably if I would have known in advance, I would have given a better thought. <laughs> but I... So if I think of genius, like the first person that comes to mind is Albert Einstein, right? And um, people often think that his IQ was off the charts. Obviously, he had a great IQ. But I think what was fascinating is his ability to be multidisciplinary or move knowledge from an industry to in industry, basically from mathematics to, let's say, physics, for example. Um, and one of his principles is that after a certain point, you have to start making your own thoughts, you cannot always just follow. You have to read what it needs to be re re read to a certain point, but at a certain point, you have to come with your unique thoughts. So maybe my first cut answer is kind of inspired by Albert Einstein is the multidisciplinary knowledge, the wisdom that goes beyond a certain skill set uh, and you can leverage to other forms of life and building unique thoughts by combining dots. So I think that is very meta answer but <laughs> that's I'll, that's my first thought i mean you can't you can't go wrong citing albert einstein <laughs> yeah i guess so but if you whatever you want to learn be it for example health if you listen to this you're probably interested in health understanding that learning from smart people like max will get you to a certain point um but at one point maybe you want to extract knowledge from from non-health people um 
or experiment with your own body and take some of the, for example, the genius foods that Max talks about or people who've been on this podcast talking about well, anything from broccoli sprouts to other things and go to the kitchen and start exploring ways to consume them in a delicious and nutritious way and find your own tips and then maybe share them with with this community. And That's brilliantly said. I would I would build on, on that, which was so eloquently stated, and say, you know, one of the best things that you can do is to cultivate your own intuition and yes. your own internal compass, like you've done so so well. Yeah. And flavor. Like definitely like be not afraid to try new flavors, but also like listen when you try a food, see how it feels in your body and to that intuition point. But the genius point is like creating your own path, living your own life in your own way, not someone else's life your way or your life someone else's way, but your own life in your own way. Brilliant. Thank you, Toro, for yeah, coming yo. back on The Genius Life. And to all you guys out there listening in the podcast universe, as always, I appreciate your time and attention. This has been another episode of The Genius Life. Peace.